Hi, this is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of um, doing a podcast on this really highly anticipated article, and of course, obviously known to all um, that we published as a clinical trial in the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer, refining adjuvant treatment in endometrial cancer based on molecular features, the rainbow clinical trial program. Uh, for that podcast, I have the pleasure and honor to have uh, Alexandra Leary from the Department of Medical Oncology and Gustave Rossi in France, uh, Karin Kreuzberg, uh, who is in the Department of Radiation Oncology in uh, Leiden in the Netherlands, and also Nanda Horberg um, uh, in the Department of Radiation Oncology in Leiden, Netherlands. Um, welcome to all of you. Thank you so much for um, the, the accepting our invitation to doing the podcast. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you very much for having thank us. You. Of course. Um, so as you know, we discussed uh, many, many questions uh, are anticipated. And uh, we'll start with the first one. And I'll ask you, Karen, um, first, please give us some background as to what is the Rainbow Consortium? Well, the Rainbow Consortium originated from the Transporter Consortium. And that was a collaboration of the PIs and translational scientists from the Portex 3 participating groups, an international consortium. And we've done already uh, quite a number of uh, studies together uh, with, in the same time, while processing the uh, Portex 3 biobank. And when the results of the translational research of that uh, molecular analysis of the Portex 3 biobank in combination with the clinical re, uh, results was available, we found more than we expected in differences between the trial arms in the molecular groups, showing no benefit of chemotherapy for the mismatch repair deficient cancers, a very significant benefit from chemotherapy for the P53 abnormal cancers, and really uh, excellent prognosis without virtually any recurrence in the pool E cancers and somewhere for the NSMP cancer in between. So based on those differences, we decided to sort of build on this experience and form the rainbow collaborative international trial to uh, together uh, improve the outcomes for women with high-risk endometrial cancer by giving them all molecular group specific treatment uh, trials uh, for each group. Fantastic. And uh, I'll turn to Nanda, um, just for our audience and those who may not be as familiar, um, can we discuss just the, what are the four distinct molecular subtypes of endometrial cancer and their respective characteristics as well? Yes, indeed. That's important to understand first. Well, today in clinics and also in most studies, we're using a system based on surrogate markers for the original four molecular classes that were described by the cancer genome group uh, back in, uh, in 2013. So the first class that's described here is the polymutant endometrial cancers. So those have one of the 11 established uh, pathogenic variants of the PoE gene, and this leads to an ultramutated phenotype of the cancer and often also resulting in a very abundant immune response. So probably due to this immune activation, these patients have an excellent prognosis. Then there's the second group, which are the mismatch repair deficient endometrial cancers. And these have loss of one of, or more of the four mismatch repair proteins, which also leads to a hypermutated phenotype. So also these cancers often have, but not always, an abundant immune response, and they have an intermediate prognosis. 
The third group, that is the P53 abnormal group, which can be identified by immunohistochemistry, for example, they have an abnormal pattern or by pathogenic mutations in the TP53 gene. And these are characterized by genomic instability, so they have high copy number alterations and very often aggressive features, like, for example, a serous histotype. And these patients, these patients unfortunately, have a very poor prognosis. Then the fourth class is more of a rest group that does not have any of these three classifying features. So in other words, they don't have a specific molecular profile. So we call them NSMP. And these are heterogeneous, but still they're classified or characterized by a low mutational burden and low copy number alterations. And the prognosis in this group is stage dependent. Well, finally, then there's also a small proportion of endometrial cancers that have more than one of these classifying features. This is like three to six percent. Mm -hmm. And according to the WHO 2020 algorithm, these should be classified according to the OE status first, and then according to the mismatch repair status. So the Rainbow program has for each of these four molecular classes a trial that investigates uh, molecular directed adjuvant therapies. Fantastic. So thank you so much, uh, Nanda, for, for that introduction. And now I'd like to get into actually the, the four respective uh, clinical trials, and I'll start with Alexandra. Um, let's start with the, the RED trial. What is the rationale and the hypothesis in this component of the trial? So thank you. So as Nanda said, these are the worst uh, patients. They are the ones that the prognosis is really by far the worst out of all the molecular subgroups. What we know about them, we've known actually since the original TCGA, was that if you look at their genomic profile, the P53 mutated endometrial cancers, what do they look like? They look a lot like high-grade serous ovarian cancer or triple negative breast cancer, mm -hmm. okay? So they have the same genomic instability that these tumors have. The other thing they have that reminds us again a bit of ovarian cancer, high-grade serous, is that they are with the, the group within Portex3 that had the greatest benefit from platinum. They're the most platinum sensitive, okay? So that makes us think they have the same degree of genomic instability as high-grade serous ovarian cancer. Could they also be homologous recombination deficient? Okay, and here we're starting to build data. We actually published a paper a few years ago with the group from Leiden where we did a functional HRD test on, on uh, endometrial tumors freshly obtained from patients. Mm -hmm. And we were able to prove that half of P53 mutated uh, endometrial cancers were HRD, okay? There's data in cell lines that show this, and they show that their HRD and P53 mutated, they respond much better to uh, PARP inhibitors. So this all together means that, okay, we're doing quite well with a platinum in the adjuvant setting, but we're not doing well enough. There's still about 40% of them relapsing. We need to do better. They need more intensive treatment. So the aim of the rainbow red is to test the hypothesis that in these genomically unstable, potentially HRD, benefit from platinum, but not quite enough, randomize them to maintenance treatment with a laparib versus observation. Fantastic. And uh, Alexander, we'll stay with you. Uh, let's talk about the green trial now. Again, what's the, the rationale for that one in the, in the hypothesis here? So the green trial is dedicated to the MMRD or MSI endometrial cancers, right? And as Nanda explained, these tumors, we know it in colorectal cancer, we know it in endometrial cancer, are highly infiltrated by immune cells and very sensitive to immune checkpoint inhibitors. We have approval of immune checkpoint inhibitors in endometrial cancer in the recurrent setting. We're getting great data in the first line metastatic setting, but how about using it when we're trying to cure these patients? 
Chemo doesn't seem to do much, so when immune checkpoint inhibitors be really active. And again, our aim is to bring those survival curves up even further. So the GREEN trial will be randomizing women uh, after surgery to radiotherapy followed by an immune checkpoint inhibitor uh, during and followed or observation. Fantastic. Um, so now uh, I'll move over to Karen to talk about the ORANGE trial. And this one, you're, you're evaluating this interesting group of uh, no specific molecular uh, profile, the NSMP um, endometrial cancers. And it focuses more on issues related to toxicity and potential contribution of hormonal therapy, uh, I understand. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes, thank you. Uh, well, the NSMP cancers uh, are, of course, very uh, relevant because we don't have a specific molecular underlying feature, but they seem to be highly driven by uh, the uh, hormone receptor status. It has been shown now in, in several studies from our group, but also from the Vancouver group, that ER is really important uh, for the outcome of these patients, that ER-negative NSMP cancers are vastly different from ER-positive cancers. In the ER-negative cancers, there are more non-endometroid cancers, more high-grade cancers, and uh, they have a dismal prognosis, while those with uh, estrogen receptor-positive status have a good prognosis. And in the PORTIC-3 analysis, uh, in the molecular analysis, they had a 12% improvement in relapse-free survival with chemotherapy. It did not reach statistical significance, probably due to smaller numbers, which leave us with uncertainty as to the role of chemotherapy, while the older adjuvant chemo uh, hormonal therapy studies which have been done in the uh, 80s and 90s of the, of the past century, were for all comers. And of course, events were there driven by the P53 cancers and were not analyzed by receptor status or by group. So we think that revisiting adjuvant hormonal therapy uh, only for the ER-positive NSMP group will have a highly likelihood of giving at least the same magnitude of benefit with a much better quality of life and less toxicity than chemotherapy. So we think that women will potentially greatly benefit from this trial. Great. And Karen, we'll stay with you on the uh, on the last, uh, the blue trial. This is a patient population and often does very well. Um, what are we studying here? Yeah, the blue trial is, is a really exciting trial as well. It is uh, for the pol e mutated cancers, which may look very aggressive on the microscope, but have in, in all independent series, will be retrospective or prospective with or without treatment, they have an excellent outcome with almost flat recurrence-free survival and overall survival curves, both with and also importantly without adjuvant treatment. We saw that in the old analysis of the PORTIC-1 trial, but also in other series. And we are very likely over-treating these patients. There was a recent analysis from Vancouver, published also by Jameson, showing that in a carefully staged series, 14% of the poly-mutated cancers had some lymph node involvement, but still the relapse-free survival curve was 100%. Mm -hmm. So these can even have lymph node involvement without impacting on their outcomes. So de-escalation of treatment is really uh, the way forward. And that can be no further treatment and reserving all your treatment options for the extremely rare patient with a relapse or cone down on your treatment in shared decision making. And that will be the topic of the blue trial. That's excellent. So I'll turn to Nanda for these next two questions. Um, Nanda, can you tell us about the trial design and the inclusion criteria? 
Yes, of course. Well, the Rainbow Program is a platform of four clinical trials, as just described. And in each of them, a molecular directed therapy is compared to the standard of care. And, but these four trials are also a unit together. So there are overarching eligibility criteria that all patients uh, must comply with. So we are, if we keep it simple, like we want women who have had a complete resection of endometrial cancer diagnosed at stage one to three, almost all hist histotypes are eligible and all cancers must be fully, fully molecularly characterized according to the WHI 2020 algorithm. Once that is done, the patient can be counseled and screened for the trial that matches with her molecular class. So for the Paul E mutant endometrial cancers, that's the blue trial. And the design of this trial is a phase two uh, prospective clinical trial with, of course, the de-escalation in, in two arms. For the MMRD group, there's the, the randomized trial under Falamab, which is given uh, for two years. And uh, for the P53 abnormal group, there is the red trial, wherein uh, the randomization is done between uh, adding uh, allopurpose maintenance therapy after chemoradiation comparing to chemoradiation alone. And in the NSMP group, there is uh, the randomized trial wherein non-inferiority of uh, treatment with radiotherapy and progestogens for two years is compared to radiotherapy with chemotherapy. And when we were designing these four trials, we wanted to make sure that everything was aligned. So we have uniform data registration across the four trials. So we have the same methods for registering the treatment-related toxicities, the same questionnaires for quality of life. And we also harmonize like the measurement moments for the different types of investigations that we will do across the trial and follow up. So, and that will allow us not only to determine whether these new therapies are effective and safe, but it also will allow us to pull the data in the end and to investigate whether molecular directed therapy is better than standard of care in terms of efficacy, toxicity, quality of life, and cost utility. Great. And, and Nanda, specifically, what are the primary endpoints and, and secondary endpoints for the trial? So for the green, red, and orange trials, the primary endpoint is the three-year recurrence-free survival. And only for the blue trial, there's another endpoint, which is the three-year uh, three pelvic recurrence rate. And the secondary outcomes are also harmonized across the trial. So that's we will look at vaginal recurrence, distant recurrences, disease-specific and overall survival, treatment-related toxicities, quality of life. Yeah. Thank you, Nanda. Um, so now I'll get into some of the questions from our fellows. Oftentimes they, they tell us that these are the, the, the tougher questions. And Karen, <laughs> I'll, I'll turn to you. This first question comes from Jennifer Davis Oliveira in the UK. And she says, why was three-year recurrence-free survival chosen as the primary endpoint um, for the poly mutated blue trial, um, different pelvic recurrences at three years rather than recurrence-free survival? Well, I think that is uh, the reason behind this is that, of course, for the three randomized trials, we want to improve recurrence-free survival. Systemic treatment is involved here. While in the PUI trial, those uh, cases have already an almost 100% survival. So what is there to measure in terms of survival? So the primary endpoint of not doing a toxic treatment because we expect these patients to have such a good outcome is to avoid pelvic recurrence. So that's why the endpoint for the blue trial is pelvic recurrence at three years, because that is what you would 
sort of uh, reduced by doing adjuvant treatment rather than improving survival. In Rainbow Consortium, we have a statistical committee, a mm. translational committee, in an advisory committee involving also patient advocates. So we have talked about all of these endpoints and outcomes with all of these committees uh, involving also the patients themselves. And this is uh, how the statisticians thought it most valid to, to be able to, to prove outcomes for the trials. Fantastic. Uh, this uh, question comes from Anissa Mburu in Kenya. Uh, she asks, as much as lymph nodes are not included in the risk stratification, would there be a benefit of standardizing lymph node dissection for all patients and not just for the poly blue cohort to avoid uh, similar issues that arose in PORTEC 1-2 trials? I don't know what exact issue she means here, but we have big randomized trials showing no recurrence-free survival or overall survival benefit of lymph node staging. So you do your staging procedure to direct therapy. And we have now multiple new, importantly, more potent uh, factors. The molecular groups have such a profound impact on the risk of uh, recurrence, on also of lymph node involvement. Uh, and of the best treatment assigned regardless of those lymph node involvements. And we have also other factors like LVSE. We have better staging now, and um, there are more and more uh, papers, even a recent paper also from Vancouver, showing that even though the poly mutant cancers had some lymph node involvement, they did not impact on their outcome. While on the other hand, the P53 cancers had a high rate of lymph nodes, but because they require adjuvant chemotherapy anyway, if there's no enlarged nodes, there's no real benefit of taking nodes out. So the molecular groups have helped us to look differently to the concepts of staging. So if you want to do lymph node staging, you could uh, consider this for the NSMP and, uh, and MRD cancer, but you still do it for staging and not for outcomes. So we think that the pragmatic trials, which are the rainbow trials, mm -hmm. are valid for all groups, all countries, and uh, they will answer the question uh, by their randomized design anyway. Very well. Um, Alexandra's next question also comes from Anissa. She's referring to the red trial. Um, and she asks, are there specific timelines for the initiation of the PARP inhibitors? What contingencies are in place for any patient who may have delayed initiation or treatment interruptions in the olaparib arm? So um, that's a good question. And uh, we've in integrated into the protocol that the Olaparib should be started within four to 10 weeks from the end of the chemotherapy. In practice, we probably would recommend that they don't start it too soon, four weeks, to make sure we don't want to run into early toxicities that are really primarily due to still carry over from the chemo. Then we'll discourage our patients from, from being compliant. So I actually personally recommend people to start more six to eight weeks Mm -hmm. Because remember, some of these will have not only chemotherapy, but radiotherapy, plus they're a little bit older than some of our ovarian cancer patients in the trials. So I think six to eight weeks is probably the safest to make sure that there are no complications uh, early on. In terms of interruptions, so obviously if there are toxicities, the protocol is very clear, gives very good guidance uh, on interruptions. Uh, sometimes an interruption even for a couple of weeks, and the dose can be resumed full dose. Sometimes we need to dose reduce, okay? If there's an interruption for more than four weeks, that requires one-to-one -one talk with a sponsor with us. Very well. Excellent. Um, Nanda, this question comes from um, Andrea Rosati at the Gemelli Hospital in uh, Rome, and he has probably in the near future several potential biomarkers for prognostic and therapeutic refinement will be available. 
how will this future molecular refinement be integrated in the rainbow clinical trial program? That's indeed an interesting question. Um, of course, the investigation of prognostic and predictive biomarkers are part of the rainbow program. And the biomarkers um, like uh, beta-casinin and L1-CAM and ER have already been investigated by the transporter group and also by other groups. And the things that we learned from the studies that we conducted, for example, with the Cortex-3, have already been integrated in the design of the rainbow program. So for example, what we found in high-risk endometrial cancer is that bazacasanin and L1-CAM have no prognostic value. So these markers are not integrated in the program. However, this was very different for NSMP, and this paper recently came out from Lisa Vermey in the British Journal of, uh, of Cancer, wherein she showed that there's really a huge difference in NSMP group for the hormone receptor status. So because the researchers who were involved in these studies are also part of the rainbow core group, we could incorporate this already early on. So, and that's why in the NSMP orange trial, we're only selecting the ER positive patients for the study. Great. This next question comes from Giulio Bonaldo, sort of kind of like, you know, predict the future. Uh, but he's asking, you wrote that this work group provide an insight into the molecular biology of endometrial cancer and its interaction with the immune system. What are you expecting? And focusing on the interactions with the immune system, could you explain this further? Yes, of course. Well, as Karin mentioned, we have a translational committee, and there in that this committee, we have different experts, scientists from all different backgrounds. So indeed, there is an immunologist, but also pathologist, data scientists, medical oncologists. So we have a quite a broad uh, program ahead of us for translational research. So this includes DNA repair, uh, it includes uh, treatment resistance, driver mutations, downstream signaling, and indeed the, the immune system interactions. So if we focus on that part, which is relevant for a subgroup of the endometrial cancers and not for all of them, we uh, envision to really dive into uh, deciphering the interaction between tumor and, uh, and the host. So for example, this is about like antigen presentation. How does the, the, the immune system recognize the cancer? How is after that the communication between the different types of immune cells happening? Does this result into an effective cellular, but also humoral immune response. And this is also building further on the work that the Transportic uh, Trans Consortium has been doing. So for example, we published this year a study in Nature Communications, wherein we looked at the B cell responses and the tertiary lymphoid structures. Hmm. So we'll, we'll keep on working on these, on these topics. And for that, we, we will leverage like the latest techniques like spatial transcriptomics and also deep learning as we have been doing so far. Fantastic. Um, Karen, this, uh, again, another question from Julio Bonaldo and asking about molecular classification and surgery. Um, considering the prognostic value of molecular classification, do you think uh, we will be uh, feasible uh, in the future to customize the surgical plan based on molecular findings on preoperative diagnostic uh, biopsies? Well, that's a very good question, and most certainly this will be feasible. The molecular classification can be reliably assessed in the, in the PREPEL biopsy materials. And currently, um, most patients still need hysterectomy, and the information is most valuable now for adjuvant systemic and radiation therapies. But in the future, you can uh, think of how to define your primary surgery as suggested in, in retrospective studies already, as I mentioned, the study by Vancouver saying for P53, do you need your 
lymphonectomy to know you have already your indication for chemotherapy and um, also in the poll e cancers. So yes, you can tailor your surgical and it would be ideal if we had, would have prospective studies investigating this uh, approach and the, and the decision-making process and potentially in future even um, uh, organ sparing treatment might be uh, envisaged. There are now already some first new adjuvant studies with checkpoint inhibition, but of course we know now that the fertility sparing treatments are mostly by hormonal therapy, but other uh, approaches are just uh, to be envisaged and to be studied. So yes, I would say there's a lot of things uh, to study. Uh, now we know the, the, the important role of the molecular classifiers. Great. Alexandra, I'll ask uh, this next question uh, from Jennifer Davis Oliveira. Um, she's asking about diversity uh, in the accrual. Uh, she mentions there's a paucity of evidence for endometrial cancer treatment and outcomes in ethnically diverse groups representing a significant health inequity. Uh, was this a consideration in the design of the study? Are there any plans uh, to uh, be sure to be inclusive in the recruitment? So that's a very, very good question um, uh, because endometrial cancer occurs around the world. And so although it didn't imp impact our design, it impacts where we're going to be opening this trial. So to some degree, the design was uh, impacted because we wanted to do a very pragmatic trial that is feasible around the world across clinical settings. Okay. So even in France, we're opening in our islands in the Caribbean, for example. And mm. then we're going to go around the world. We're already in contact in Brazil and India. The aim is really to have this study being led where women with endometrial cancer are living and not only in ultra-specialized centers in a few countries. Fantastic. Very well. Uh, Karen, the next question is, uh, given that one of the main motivations for this trial is to provide evidence for the de-escalation of adjuvant treatment, um, as it pertains to quality of life, uh, she asks, is quality of life questionnaire sufficient to capture data on the impact on survivorship and quality of life? Well, yes, we do think so. We have uh, quite some experience with the ERTC uh, core questionnaire in conjunction with the EN24 module. And because we will give the same questionnaires across all four rainbow trials to all of these patients in all of the arms, we will really be able to uh, capture the essential differences. And for the blue trial, with the impact of de-escalating treatment, we've added the fear of cancer recurrence and decision regret uh, scales. So we also try to capture if this induces some doubt or, or uh, regret in the patients. But, um, but uh, as we showed from, from earlier analysis, we will really be, uh, be capturing valid information on the symptoms and overall quality of life of these uh, women. Very well. Um, Alexandra's next question is from Martha Shu, who in uh, Taiwan, and he asks, how, how did you decide on the duration of the multiple maintenance treatments, Olaparib for two years, Durvolumab for one year, progesterone for two years? How did you decide? So that's a good question. Now, um, we don't know in endometrial cancer, so we had to try to look at what we're doing in other tumor types. So for example, for the red trial, Olaparib two years, that was based on that's the duration we're doing in high-grade serous ovarian cancer with Olaparib, okay? For the Durvalumab one year, again, that was looking, what are people doing in other tumor types? And uh, this is was based on the Pacific trial, okay? Um, in terms of the hormonal therapy, uh, again, this was, uh, we looked at, you know, what's been done elsewhere. And there, there was a, the COSA study looked at three years of adjuvant hormones, okay? 
Um, and so we based it, it was pragmatic approach. Um, maybe in five years, 10 years time, we'll be doing the study again and comparing one year to six months or three months. Uh, but that's why we, we went with this. And we also chose durations that we felt would be acceptable for patients. Fantastic. Um, Alessandra's next question also is uh, from Nuria Agusti in uh, Barcelona. She says nearly all endometrial cancer subgroups are included in the rainbow trial, except for the hormone receptor negative NSMP endometrial cancer groups. Can you speak of other biomarkers in this hormone receptor negative group that may be potentially useful? So that's a good question. That's sort of the poor child of the rainbow program because they will not actually benefit from refined adjuvant treatment. We aim to follow them through sort of an observatory to get a cohort so that we can study them because just to get an idea of the numbers, they represent about 10% of the NSMP group. So that's probably about three, two, three 3% of all endometrial cancers. So thankfully they are rare, but they're a fascinating subset. And so hopefully by creating this cohort, we will be able to learn enough about their prognosis and their molecular profile to, 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 to tell you more. That work is currently ongoing on the, in the Portex samples though. So keep an eye on it. Excellent. Um, Karen, this uh, next question also from Nuria, kind of a, a little bit of a long question, but she says, regarding the blue trial, in the highest risk group, there's a subgroup of patients with stage three uh, due to lymph node involvement. Uh, what impact do you think that not performing any other treatment beyond observation could have in this group of high-risk patients, considering that there may be non-sentinel lymph nodes also involved and they have not been removed during the surgery? And what evidence are we basing this? Well, it's a good question, of course. But as I said, we don't think that these patients are high-risk. I think that's the whole point of looking at de-escalation in uh, polyimmutant cancers, because even though both in, in Vancouver and also in the, in the Danish analysis with full lymphonectomies, they found a number of lymph node positive poly cancers, but still zero recurrence. So we think that it is really valid to be courageous and do the treatment de-escalation in this group. But for stage one and two poly, the um, the trial says no adjuvant treatment, but in stage three, there's shared decision making possible because some physicians and patients won't feel comfortable because in the Portex 3 trial, all women uh, received some form of radiotherapy. So uh, it can be that for stage three, the escalation for them might mean radiation only and no chemotherapy. But we think that there is lots of underlying science that uh, de-escalation is really what should be studied for polyimmutant cancers. Very well. Um, and Alexandra, I'll go back to you. Uh, this question uh, pertains to two very recently published studies in the New England Journal, as you know, the NRG uh, GYO18 um, that looked at pembrolizumab in combination with chemotherapy and endometrial cancer and the RUBY trial, dostarlimab, um, with, uh, in the setting of endometrial cancer as well. Um, how do these two study results impact this trial, the, the rainbow trial in any way? So thanks for the question. To me today, they don't impact the rainbow trial. Why? Because both uh, Ruby and the uh, uh, NRG study were done in first line metastatic. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
There was indeed in Ruby uh, uh, an allowance for some stage three, if they, but they had to have measurable disease. These patients are not included in Rainbow. Okay, so um, to me, there's no, no impact. What you see in first-line metastatic can't just be extrapolated to adjuvant because I remind you, going to Rainbow, you have to have had complete surgery, no residual disease. So ask me again in a few years when the B21 trial reads out. <laughs> Very well. <laughs> So, Nanda, this last question um, to you, uh, again from Martha Shu. Um, when do you estimate that we can see results of the RAINBOW trial? Well, these results will become available once accrual has been completed, and we have three years of follow-up after that. And uh, at the moment, the blue and green trial are open. They have included their first patients, and the red trial is expected to open very soon in the next few months, and the orange trial, trial will probably be open next year. So it's a bit hard to tell at this moment when exactly that moment will be uh, achieved, but probably the blue trial will be the first one to report results. And I think we can expect that from 2028 onwards. But th this doesn't mean that you won't hear anything about the rainbow trial for the next five years. Even just with the baseline data and the tumor materials that we will be collecting, we can do very interesting studies. So actually we would be happy to come back in a while and have, <laughs> give an update on the rainbow program. You are all absolutely welcome to come back anytime. Absolutely. Uh, I want to thank all three of you for taking the time to uh, spend with us and, and discuss the, the rainbow trial. Um, this is really marvelous uh, work and, and uh, we really uh, are looking forward to, to the results of this trial. This will be really practice changing, very impacting. So congratulations to all of you, Alexander Leary, uh, Karen Krutzberg and uh, Nanda Horweg who are doing some really impacting work in gynecologic oncology, and, and, and this will be a great contribution. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Thank for, you having for having us. us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.